Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, good morning, everybody. Glad that you are here. I'm Tim. This is the conclusion of the series we've been calling God Greater Than Cancer. It's been a series about healing, and today we conclude the series by looking at the biblical practice of anointing with oil. And at the end of today's service, our leaders are going to anoint anybody who is sick in need of healing with oil in the name of the Lord as Scripture instructs us in James chapter 5. But before we get into this, I just got to say, this has been a pretty special series, hasn't it? Amen? It's been a recent God do some remarkable things in our church, especially all of our campuses. I hope that you have sensed the palpable presence of the Holy Spirit there. I know in the Nutley and Mountainside, God's been moving. In New Brunswick, I received this email this week. A woman named Tanya, she's a volunteer. She serves on the Guest Connections team in New Brunswick. She was going in for surgery on her thyroid. They're going to remove it because it has a high risk of cancer. But then her doctors found a series of lumps in her lymph nodes. So Tanya's been praying, asking God to heal her. She's come forward for healing prayer whenever we've offered it in the series. And this is amazing. This week, she went in for her lymph node biopsy. And as she laid on the table, the doctor scanned for those lumps in, in her lymph nodes. And he came back and said, strangest thing, we can't find any of the lumps in your neck. Tanya wrote this. I quote the doctor, I cannot biopsy what I cannot see. They're gone. Praise God. Can we hear it for that? That's a pretty incredible thing, right? That's an amazing thing. It's powerful when God shows up in his church. Jesus Christ, we believe, still heals today. Not everybody, not all the time, but when he does, praise God, it's a miraculous thing. As followers of Jesus, what we know is whenever we ask for healing, God always answers yes, either yes now or yes later. Yes now is when God says, I'm going to perform a miracle through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to reach into your present life and bring down your future life where there's no more death, mourning, sickness, pain, or sorrow, and you're going to experience the touch of the Holy Spirit. Yes now, you're healed. Or, yes, later, when we were all Christians, if you're a believer in Christ, here's the good news. It doesn't get any worse than this. <laughs> we will all receive complete and ultimate healing in heaven by, with our resurrected bodies. And I really like how Pastor Tom put it last week. As Christians, we have a theology of both pain and power, of crucifixion and resurrection. So on this earth, it's like Jesus. We still suffer sickness, disease, even death, just like Jesus did on the cross. But we also serve a God who three days later after the cross showed his resurrection power. In other words, Jesus Christ, we believe, still has the power to conquer sin and sickness by the power of his command. There's resurrection power. So right now, you and I as believers in Jesus, we live in the in-between time, between power and pain, between the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Christ has conquered Satan's sin and death on the cross. Yes, that's D-Day, the great invasion. But we're awaiting his second coming when he returns and declares complete victory. So until then, not everybody gets healed. Even Tanya wrote this. She said, God is healing my lymph nodes, but my thyroid still requires your prayers. So you can pray for Tanya. That to me is a good example of the tension in which we pray. All healing on earth is always partial. It's incomplete, and it's always provisional. It's temporary. It's not forever, this side of heaven. It's giving us a foretaste or a preview of the resurrection body that awaits every believer when Jesus Christ returns 
and restores all of creation. That includes you. But praise God, the Holy Spirit still shows up. Amen? He shows up to touch his people, and that is a sign of God's great love and mercy. I grew up in a lot of uh, church services where people, we just kind of went through the motions, and everybody kind of knew there should have been an announcement. The Spirit has left the building. You know, like, we go through our routines, but it was pretty much dry and routine. But at Liquid, we really believe we want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit to come every time we meet. Amen? You need to know that. If you're new to our church, we believe Jesus is alive, Jesus is active, Jesus still saves, Jesus still heals, and I pray that God's Spirit is going to touch you today in a very, very personal way. So let's jump into our main text. It's found in James chapter 5. You can take the Bible on your seat or flip out your phone and scroll there. James, as you might know, was the half-brother of Jesus. In fact, he was the little brother of Jesus. Can you imagine that, having Jesus as your big brother? Talk about a bummer, you know? If you, <laughs> if you have an older sibling, you everyone have older siblings, like your parents compare you. Why couldn't you be more like, you know, your sister? Imagine James, you know, comes home from school, Jimmy, principal called, you're not good, good with your studies, you know, why can't you be more like your older brother Jesus? Good luck with that, right? And yet James actually turned out to be a pretty strong leader in his own right. After he witnessed his half-brother Jesus rise from the dead, he realized, oh my goodness, Jesus is actually God's son. He's the Messiah, the chosen one. And James became one of the first pastors in the early church. He was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So Jimmy was there when all of this started, and he wrote this letter that you're holding in your hands to the early Christians to show them how to live out their faith in the real world. And in chapter 5, he tackles the real world issue of sickness and suffering. Specifically, how do we respond as a church when someone is ill or they're injured or, or they have a chronic condition or sickness? Let's read what James says, starting at verse 14. James writes, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders or leaders of the church to pray over them and read this together. Ready? Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Today I want to talk with you about this practice of anointing the sick with oil, and I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit today and let you in on something that we do behind the scenes as pastors, okay? We do this in private, but we want to make it public today. The early church had the biblical practice of anointing the sick with oil, and basically, in Scripture, oil was a symbol of the Holy Spirit and of medicine, of God's power to heal and do the miraculous, and it represented both the spiritual and physical aspects of the person. So we believe people are holistic beings, meaning you have a body, you can see it, but you also have a soul, your spiritual person, and Jesus Christ is Lord over both. And so when a believer gets sick or when a believer suffers, it could be a small C, common cold, or it could be a big C, cancer. James says, I want the leaders of the church to do two things. First, I want you to what? Pray over them. That's what we've been doing the last few weeks during this series. But then secondly, I want you to what? Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And sometimes when our pastors at Liquid go out on hospital visits, that's what we'll do. We'll bring along a little flask of anointing oil, and we will pour a little bit on the sick person's head, and we'll anoint them with oil and ask the Holy Spirit to come and touch and heal their body. Now understand, this is not a magic potion, okay? There's nothing magical. We're not selling snake oil or anything like that. In fact, in the Bible, the oil that they used typically was most likely olive oil that came from an olive press. 
But where does this practice come from? What does this really represent today? To answer that question, you've got to put your finger in James and flip back to the Old Testament. And you will see several things that anointing oil signifies. If you're taking notes, you're going to see these listed on the back of your notes today. I've made it super easy for you to follow along. And you'll notice the first thing that Scripture says in the Old Testament is that anointing oil signifies consecration. And we see this in 1 Samuel. Throw this up on the screen. Samuel the prophet was told by the Lord, fill your horn with oil. I've chosen one of Jesse's sons to be king. Does anybody know the name of the shepherd boy who was being anointed with oil? You know? David. Yeah, this is King David, who was really just a shepherd boy at the time. The runt of the litter. I think I got some footage of him. We went back to Old Testament archival footage, and here he is. There's King David with his sheep. He was just a boy at the time. When God said, I see him, he has a heart like mine, I want you to anoint him with oil. And so he called the prophet Samuel to come and anoint David with oil. And basically, what that meant is the prophet would take a horn, it was the horn typically of a sheep or a ram, I have one here, you can see in the video there, and they would fill it with anointing oil. And he would say, in the name of the Lord, I am anointing you, I'm blessing you, I am dedicating you. I'm commissioning you in the name of the Lord to serve him all of your days. And he would pour that anointing oil over the forehead. They would use anointing oil to consecrate prophets, priests, and kings. And David was anointed. He was chosen. God says, I'm going to pour this on and bless you. I'm going to set you apart. I'm putting a mark on your life. So this is a foreshadowing because David became king. You know he is a king. He was the forerunner of another king in the New Testament. Who's that? Jesus came from the line of King David. So in the Old Testament, anointing oil signified consecration and the Holy Spirit, number two. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. And from that day on, let's read this together. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David in what? In power, okay, anointing oil, symbol of the Holy Spirit who pours out the power, the dunamis of God in a believer's life. When the Holy Spirit came on David, boom, he was filled with power. When the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, boom, he came in power. There was rushing wind. There were tongues of fire. The disciples were filled with power. There's boldness in their preaching. Man, these guys are courageous. They shared powerfully the gospel message. They're like, Jesus died for your sins. You killed God, and you need to ask us forgiveness. People were like, whoa, Me? You. And he was raised from the dead. He can heal your body. Get up and walk. They ministered with great power. That was because it was the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the power and the authority to forgive sins and to heal the sick. And that's what the Spirit did. Everywhere they went, they cured disease, they raised the dead. And that's what happened. Like David, the Spirit of the Lord came on the early disciples in power so that people would know their testimony about Jesus was true. And guys, this is our inheritance. We've established in this series, we are disciples of disciples of disciples. And as modern disciples of Jesus Christ, God offers that same power to preach and heal in Jesus' name. So we minister in that power and authority. Like right now this morning, I'm not talking to you my own ideas. I'm ministering to you under the unction of the Holy Spirit. I've prayed, I've allowed this text, God preached to me, and I said, God, release your power, your Holy Spirit in our church. We're going to forgive sin. We know you're going to forgive sins today, and we believe you're going to heal broken bodies. So today at the end of the service, that's what we're going to do. We are going to anoint with oil anybody who is sick, 
Anyone who's, see, if, you, if you're not even sick, maybe you just simply want a fresh filling or impartation of the Holy Spirit. At every campus and every service today, we're going to do that, so pay attention. Understand what I'm not saying. It's not like, you don't have the Holy Spirit, but I do. It's in this bottle. Do you want it? That's not what we're doing. As a follower of Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit in you, okay? Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on you. When you receive Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. But what we're doing is we're following James's New Testament instruction to anoint the sick with oil as a way of welcoming the, the healing ministry of the Holy Spirit presence in a powerful way today. That's the third thing that, uh, that anointing oil signifies, healing. Jesus, James was simply telling his church to do what Jesus did. Remember? James just grew up. He grew up watching Jesus healing and delivering and restoring hurting lives. And when Jesus sent out his disciples, look what it says in Mark 6. The disciples drove out many demons, and they did what? They anointed many sick people with oil, and they healed them. So in other words, sometimes in the healing ministry of the disciples, they anointed the sick with oil. Not always, but it was clearly something that they practiced whenever they prayed for people who were hurting or diseased or demon-possessed or afflicted, just like Jesus commanded them. And again, there's nothing magical about this oil, but it does represent both the physical and the spiritual aspects of holistic healing. In the Bible, oil is used for miracles and oil is used for medicine. That's the fourth thing the Bible says oil signifies, medicine, a healing balm or ointment that's used to heal a wound. Jesus himself actually referred to this when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, right? You got the guy who's going down from, you know, Jericho, and he gets mugged. He gets beaten. He's left for dead. He's bleeding on the side of the road. And a priest walks by, and he's like, "Woo, no thanks. Pray for you. And, and the Good Samaritan actually crosses the road, and what does he do? He went to the man and bandaged his wounds, pouring on what? Pouring on oil and wine. So in Jesus' day, oil was used like an antiseptic. It's what you would use to cleanse or actually heal a wound. Now, this makes sense to you, I guarantee. I want you to think about um, if you're outside, or let's say you're working in your yard and you get a big cut on your hand. What do you do when you cut your hand? You get a big gash or something like that. Before you go to the doctor, I guarantee, I know what you do. You probably go inside and what do you do first? You wash it and then you pour antiseptic on it. Hydrogen peroxide, rubbing alcohol or something. And before you put a Band-Aid on, think about it if your parents, if you put a Band-Aid on your kid's scrape, what do you apply first? Neosporin, bacitracin, ointment. Ointment from which we get anointment. Does this make sense? Healing oil is both anointment, spiritual, and physical anointment. It's so encouraging to me. When you look at the Bible and see how it links healing and medicine in such a holistic way, because in the 21st century, we think there is this competition between faith and science. Like miracles and medicine, well, they're two separate things. They're not. The Bible makes no artificial distinction this way. The Bible, from a Hebrew perspective, you are one. You are a single integrated human being made in God's image. Your body, your mind, and soul. It was the Greeks who kind of pulled us apart in their philosophy. Don't fall for that. But as modern believers, we think that when somebody gets sick, the Bible teaches us first thing you do, spiritual, you pray to God. There's a reason Jesus is called the great physician. He's your primary care provider. So we go to him first, and then we go to the doctor. Because modern medicine is a gift. It's a boon. 
It's a blessing from God. All Everything is from God's hands. Medicine is from God. And if you're a physician, you're a nurse, you're an oncologist, you're a therapist, we thank God for you. You are a blessing to the rest of us. If you work in the field of healthcare, we praise God for you. You know why? Whether you know it or not, you are partners with God Almighty, with Jesus Christ, in his mission to heal and restore broken lives. Amen? So we thank God for you. But this is what we're going to ask God to do today. We're going to ask him to apply the balm of the Holy Spirit to hurting people in this church family at your campus. So in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to actually get out of your seat and come forward in faith and trust your Heavenly Father. Let him touch you with his Holy Spirit. Our prayer leaders are actually going to anoint your head with oil. Now, let me just clarify this because some of you are freaking out. You're like, my hair? I don't know. Let me tell you how this is going to work. You're not going to come up and like, get down on your knees, like, and then pour like a whole horn of, uh, you know, oil on you. You've got enough product in there. I can already see it. You don't need more, right? Each of our prayer leaders whom we have trained and we have actually anointed them with oil, they've come early today to be blessed and commissioned before God, they have a little flask of oil, and what they're going to do is they're going to simply dab a little bit and touch your forehead in the sign of the cross as a way of signifying that all healing flows directly from the cross of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus suffered in his body. He paid for our sins with his blood. And by his wounds, we are healed. And then we're going to pray for you in faith. We're going to pray for you in expectation, like we did at last service, where God touched people in a palpable way. Because you know what we believe? Whenever we obey God's word, God shows up. <laughs> We're going to actually invite the Holy Spirit to touch you today, body, mind, and soul, and bring healing wherever you need it most. Speaking of which, that's a great question. Where do you need God's healing the most today? I mean, for some of you, it's obvious, right? I saw you as you were walking in. If you're in a wheelchair, or you have like a cast on your foot, or your hand is arthritic, or your back is bent over in pain, some of you, those are the obvious ones. But notice what James does in verse 15. He switches gears and starts talking about some not-so-obvious ways that believers may need healing. Look what he writes in verse 15. He says, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Raise is the same language as Jesus raised from the dead and raised on the cross. Pain and power. If they have sinned, they will be what? Forgiven. And then he writes this, which seems like totally out of place. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other, say it together, so that you may be healed. It's kind of like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know? I, I thought that we were talking about physical healing. Why all of a sudden does he change topics and talk about confession and forgiveness? That's not a mistake. James is drawing a direct link between private sin and public healing. Between the presence of hidden or unconfessed sin in your life and the healing power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, make this super plain for you. There's a direct correlation between the health of your bodies and the health of your soul. A couple weeks ago, as we were praying for people, a woman came up with emphysema. And she said, could you pray for my emphysema? I need God to heal me. And uh, as she smoked, there was kind of a strong smell of nicotine. And so one of our prayer leaders said, you know, are you still smoking? And she said, yeah. She said, but I don't, I don't really have the strength to stop. Now, stop right here. Can God heal emphysema? Of course. But you know what our prayer leader said? How about first we ask the Holy Spirit to break the power of that addiction and help you stop smoking? 
and give you the strength and the self-control to quit. You see, some sickness is the direct result of our own destructive behavior. I'm not being judgmental. This, this, is, just, this is just a fact, okay? If you're an alcoholic and you spent decades beating up your liver with alcohol, can God heal cirrhosis? Yes, but you first need to repent and turn from the thing that's killing you. You actually have to confess your sin and ask the Holy Spirit to free you from the power of that bondage. That's what James is getting at here. Some sins directly cause sickness. Obesity, what the Bible calls gluttony, can lead to diabetes. Again, not, this is not the shame or condemn anybody. The truth is, though, you just can't live willy-nilly and then expect God to kind of wave a wand and magically reverse decades of neglect, abuse, or indulgence. There's a posture of your heart that's needed here. You get this? There's a humility, a brokenness, and a desire that says, you know what? Enough is enough, God. I can't do this on my own. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. There has to be a hunger. There has to be a deep desire for the touch of God that you're actually willing to turn from whatever destructive lifestyle habits that you have that damage your health in the first place. That's what James is getting at here. He says when the, when the church comes together for healing under the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a supernatural release that occurs when we address the spiritual source, not just the physical symptoms. Look again at verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Isn't that fascinating? There's a connection between your inner soul, your sin, and your physical body, the external state of your health. Again, Hebrews would have made total sense because we were all connected. In the, in the New Testament, you know the Greek word for salvation? It means the same thing as healing. They're interchangeable words. So it means that healing is all of your humanity, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And this is very consistent with the way we're training our spiritual care teams to pray. This is incredible, exciting news. Um, since the beginning of this series, across all our campuses, liquid leaders have now prayed, personally laid hands on over 1,000 people at our campuses for healing. And we are learning a tongue. Check this out. Um, we did a little survey of prayer requests. Here's a statistical breakdown of the types of prayers in our church over the last month. About 51% were for physical healing, the obvious. You know, I have acid reflux, or I have diabetes, or I have a bad back, or I, I can't walk, I have a broken bone. About the majority were physical, no surprise, but then look at this, about 21%, a full quarter, emotional or mental healing. People who said, I struggle with anxiety, I have depression, I have panic attacks, I struggle with a spirit of fear, I have post-traumatic stress disorder, I served in Iraq or Afghanistan. 12% spiritual healing, about 6% were requests for addictions to be broken, Drugs, alcohol, pornography. Another 6% were what we'd call relational healing. I have my marriage is dissolving or I'm coming on a divorce. I mean, God needs to heal this, a relationship that came apart. Some people needed healing for grief. They lost the loved one. That's relational healing. And 4% we just said is other. People who came forward and said, hey, I'm, I'm weighing a job decision. I'm trying to make a choice of colleges or career or I have a financial need. And that's great. We pray for all of that stuff. There's all sorts of needs. There really is no restriction on what healing prayer is for. But I want to zero in on the request for emotional and mental healing for just a minute because this is a significant one. Over my last 10 years as a pastor, I'll just be honest with you, there has been a huge spike and increase in the number of believers I talk to who are suffering from chronic anxiety, worry, fear, and depression. And that's nothing to be ashamed about. Again, I just want to remove, there's no stigma in our church. 
depression and bipolar disorder, they actually have a history in my family. And again, thank God for modern medicine, right? Obviously, the physical component, when you have imbalances in brain chemistry and enzymes, that's well documented. I prayed for a young mom the other week who was struggling with postpartum depression and resulted in some destructive behaviors. You know what? Thank God for medication and counsel and therapy. But there's also spiritual components, struggling with guilt about that and God feeling very far away. And so I want to just talk for a minute about the spiritual aspect of emotional and mental healing in the Bible. Because biblically, I think we all understand fear does not come from God. Amen? God doesn't give his children a spirit of fear, but a spirit of faith and of power and of love and a sound mind. Again, the fruit of the spirit is not depression, it's joy. And that's one of the things that we ask the Holy Spirit to fill a believer with when we cast out a spirit of fear or despair that he would replace it with a spirit of joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. But here's the point. The point of James is that you and I are both people who sin and who are sinned against. And sometimes it's the sins that are committed against us that create a need for inner healing that only the Holy Spirit can get down deep into. For example, maybe somebody hurt you deeply in the last year. Maybe you went through a devastating divorce or adultery. Somebody cheated on you. Or if you were betrayed by a friend or a business partner or even another Christian who you trusted and they, they betrayed you. Or maybe your parents or family failed you in some sort of way and a root of bitterness has grown up. You can't forgive them. You don't want to forgive them if you're honest. You nurse a grudge and now it's kind of grown bitter. And if you're honest, let's be honest, maybe this series has made you a little bitter because you're bitter that God would ever let something like that happen to you in the first place. Unforgiveness is a root source, a spiritual cause, often behind physical sickness. According to the Bible, a person who doesn't forgive is cut off from God's forgiveness, which is the source of all healing. Your spiritual connection, your lifeline gets severed. When you refuse to forgive an enemy, what you're saying is, God, I am refusing to give her what you graciously give me. You can give it to me, but I'm not passing it on. And instead, bitterness takes root in your spirit. And if you have an unforgiving spirit, you nurse a grudge, guess who suffers the most? That person? Uh-uh. You. Anger builds up. Resentment pulses through your veins just underneath the surface. The wound never heals. The scab gets picked, and it grows toxic. Hebrews 12 puts it this way. See to it that you don't let what? Say this together. A root of bitterness grow up cause trouble, and then what's the word here? Defile many. Do you know what defile means? It means to turn toxic, to, to, to pollute somebody. There's a reason we call it toxic emotions. Have you ever heard of that? Modern science has actually discovered there's a direct correlation between the chemicals in your body that are released by toxic emotions and physical disease. As Ken Blue notes in his book, Authority to Heal, arthritis, ulcers, some cancer, a host of other physical ailments can often be traced back to a bitter spirit. Until the mind is healed of its sin sickness, physical healing is unlikely. Listen to me. Until you forgive, you will never heal. You can mask the symptoms with medicine, and that's what we do very well in our culture. We mask the symptoms. But true, deep inner healing goes deeper to the root, the source and that's why James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You ever notice that that's how Jesus heals? It doesn't make sense the way he heals. Like Jesus will be walking along and there's a paralyzed guy and he's laying on his mat and he's like, what would you like me to do for you? You know? And the guy's like, I want to walk. And (laughs) Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. And it's like, that's not what I asked for. You know, like, I didn't ask for his sins forgiven, but then he's like, no, no, stand up. Go ahead, sit up. And God's like, what the? And he can walk. You ever notice that? Jesus, it was one and the same. The physical and the spiritual were all intertwined and interconnected. And that's how it is in your life. Sometimes before Jesus can do a work of physical profound healing, he has to touch you at the spiritual source of your soul. And the question is, will you keep it hidden from him? So when you come up in a few moments for prayer and anointing, I want you to take this opportunity to confess your sins to the Lord. This is a safe place. I hope you can tell we value honesty and authenticity. But we believe that when you humble your heart, when you open up and say, God, I came for this thing, but I need you to touch this thing, God often says, oh, now, get ready. Because this is a man or woman I can trust and I can release the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in their life. From the inside out, I'm going to heal them. Let me close with a testimony of what that looks like in real life. There's a woman in our church who, uh, she has an incredible story of inner healing. I, I would call it a miracle that she experienced as a, ch- as a child. Growing up, uh, her father was physically abusive, hit both her mom and her as a young child. Parents married in the teens, kind of, you know, got divorced after a year. But she grew up pretty much estranged uh, from her father, and that's a profound wounding, right? Those of you who had a, a dad or a mom who bailed on you, you know what that's like. A father is the one who's supposed to love and protect you. And when he bailed, it, you know, the dad's supposed to reflect the father heart of God. But her experience was abuse, both verbal, physical, resulting in a kind of a, a mistrust of men. See, watch. External sin committed by somebody else results in an inner wound. And as a girl, she said, I often felt sadness. I looked at my other friends. I didn't have a daddy like them. I felt guilt. That's how kids do it sometimes. They turn it inward and say, did I do something, you know, to deserve this? And bitterness as she grew older. Anger at her father for not being there and kind of just shame. This was part of her past. And uh, she lived that way for the first decade of her life. When she was about to enter her teens, her and her mom attended a Christian church that introduced them to the love of Jesus Christ. It says, it doesn't matter what your past was, God can give you a future if you offer your heart to him. They invited Christ into their heart, and that was a turning point. And here's what she told me. She said, it's crazy, Tim. A couple years into that, um, I'm sitting in a service, and the pastor starts talking about generational sin. You guys know the verse, the sins of the father are passed on from one generation to the next. And the pastor is talking about the dad's responsibility to love and protect his children. She goes, I just lost it. I am just started sobbing. All that pain and dysfunction, all those feelings came flooding back. And she goes, I'm sitting there, you know, just kind of crying quietly as the pastor talking about the sins of the father. And then he says, but the Holy Spirit is here today, and I believe God has the power to break the cycle of that dysfunction. Some of you have had this go on generation after generation, and God wants to be your father today, and the Holy Spirit can break the power of that sin. And she said, I wanted it. She goes, I knew it. I didn't want to be defined by my past. I want a future if I had a family. Turns out her father actually had been abused by his father. It only, he, 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 oftentimes, sin just goes, we only do what we had been done to us. And she said, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say it ends today. That legacy ends here. I'm going to release in you a forgiveness of your father, and at the deepest place, I am going to heal your heart, and I'm going to free you from the bitterness of the past. 
And she said, suddenly I felt this like welling up in my belly, like I got nauseous and I was kind of like, I'm crying. I'm just like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden my cry <laughs> turned to laughing. She started laughing in the service uncontrollably, just <laughs> through tears. And her friend's like, what is going on? Because she was weeping, and suddenly now she's kind of laughing. And she said, Tim, I was laughing so hard I nearly slid out of my seat. And she said, I knew it was the Holy Spirit flooding me with the love of God because she was a teenager. She's like, I didn't want anyone to look at me. You know, as a teenager, you don't want to seem weird or embarrassed or anything. And so the pastor's like, is everything okay? She's like, yes. You know, and, uh, and she started laughing uncontrollably. She's trading her sorrows for joy, see? And she said, that was the day that I experienced a deep inner healing. The Lord touched my heart and gave me the supernatural power to forgive my father. He flooded me with the love of my heavenly father and said, your history will not determine your destiny. I am your father now, and it ends today. And I am setting you free in the power of the Holy Spirit. And she described it as such a relief, just this like heaviness and this weight, all that guilt and shame and, and helplessness kind of fell off of her. And she said, you know, Tim, that was 30 years ago. She's in her 40s now, married with a family of her own. And she says, I look back and I point to that Sunday when the Lord performed an inner healing in my life with a powerful touch and said, the sins of the Father are forgiven and they go no further. I am your Father now. And she thanks God for that because she's like, I'm a mom with two kids of my own. And you know what? I thank God for that. Because that little girl is my wife. That was Colleen's story. And so I thank God for the father heart to reach in and supernaturally touch the heart of a little girl with healing so that her future family could walk in the forgiveness and freedom of the Lord. Amen? See, God did in a moment what it could take months or decades of therapy to even touch. I'm all for 12-step healing, but sometimes I love one-step healing. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do. And I believe today may be a day like that for some of you. It was at our last service. People were palpably touched by the power of the Holy Spirit at a place they couldn't explain. They came seeking one thing, and God said, I'm going to do something else in your life. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you forward. And we're going to anoint with oil, and we're going to claim the freedom and forgiveness in your life that only Christ can give. Because Jesus Christ suffered and died on a cross for you, you don't have to suffer. God is greater than your guilt. God is greater than your sin. God's greater than any sins committed against you. Amen? God longs to free and heal you completely, body, mind, and soul. So if you're struggling today, maybe you came and you're like, man, I thought I was coming for this physical thing. Maybe there's an inner healing that God needs to address first. Well, this is the service where it ends. In Jesus' name, that pain's going to go no further, and your healing starts here. Receive the Holy Spirit in faith. It's time to minister. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stay until every single person in this room who wants to experience the healing power of the Holy Spirit can be anointed. Your campus pastor is going to give about five, ten minutes for that. Then he'll dismiss you. But you stay if you want to be in line. We had people, you know, several people deep. But you come forward in just a minute. You come forward in faith. You come forward believing the Lord has something for you. And when you come forward for anointing, we're going to ask you three questions today. The first thing we're going to ask is, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because we're praying in his name. The greatest healing you can ever receive is the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. So if you haven't asked Christ to be your Savior, our prayer leaders are prepared to lead you through a prayer of salvation today. 
But then secondly, we're going to ask, what do you need healing for? Is it physical? Is it your back? Is it mental? Your mind? Is it emotional? Is there something spiritual? Just explain what brings you up. We believe the Holy Spirit is already present in this room. We got here early. We were praying already for your needs. We know God's going to do work. And you may feel that already. I see, I see some of you right now. You're trying not to look at me straight because you're like, we, you're, you're a little scared. Don't be scared, okay? Today, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to break strongholds and to heal wounds and replace some of your sorrows with the joy of the Lord. And then before we pray, we're going to ask, what sins do you need to confess to the Lord? You can confess them in confidence to our leaders. If you were Catholic, you might have grown up and you're like, wait, is this like confession with a priest? As Protestants, we believe, the Bible says that in the priesthood of all believers, what that means is if you receive Christ as your Savior, you stand as a representative of Jesus. And so when our leaders stand up here, they're representing Christ to you. And when you share and confess your sins in confidence, they're going to declare the forgiveness of Christ. Jesus said, I give you power and authority. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And that's how they're ministering. They have nothing of their own. We've simply anointed them with oil and commissioned them in the name of Jesus. And so that's what's going to happen. And they're going to anoint your forehead with oil in the sign of the cross, a symbol that all healing, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, flows from one source. Where? The cross of Jesus Christ. So let's pray right now. Bow our heads, all our campuses. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit in this moment. Come now, Spirit. Father God, we praise you, God. We thank you that the good news of the gospel is this. God's here. God is available in the person of Jesus Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit to touch his people. And so, God, your people are about to stand up and come forward to be touched by you. I ask now for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. You know the needs of the people, Lord God. They're your children, God. And you are a good father. Lord, I'm an okay father. And I try to give my kids whatever they need. But you've said, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? So I release the Holy Spirit now in the name of Jesus. We minister in his power and authority. Holy Spirit, may your blessing now come upon all who are anointed with this oil. May they be freed from pain and illness and sickness and disease. May they be made well again in body, mind, and soul from the top of their head to the tips of their toes. Father, may this oil which you have blessed, you've blessed this oil for our use, may it produce its healing effect in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people agree together. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com. Or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.